Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Hello, welcome to episode 4, season 5 of Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfold. As you know, I'm Mark Fielding, psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and your host. As our listeners will know, this is our first episode of 2024 and we are continuing the theme of season 5 with Relationships. Uh, season five has been, you know, a great season so far. We've um, we're only at the start, and uh, it's certainly going to continue. I think today I have the absolute pleasure to welcome Gurpreet Singh, um, a counsellor and psychotherapist. Gurpreet works in private practice. He also runs training workshops in stress management, business communications, and cross cultural communications. Helping people help themselves is a real passion for him be it through a training environment, in workshops, working with people individually, as a couple or in groups. He has had a successful career in IT consultancy. Through life changes, he found himself drawn to self-development courses. He pursued these with a desire for self-discovery and qualified in therapeutic counselling as a part of this process. Um, His current career embraces working as a counsellor, psychotherapist, trainer, and also working fairly extensively, actually, in the in the media. Um, Gurpreet's special specialities include stress management, addiction, anger management, anxiety, couple issues, marriage counselling, relationship issues, self esteem, and many others. So, thank you so much for coming on the show, Gurpreet. Nice to see you again. Good to see you too, Mark. <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah, really, I'm really glad to have you here. I always kick off the show by asking our guests to say a little bit about the personal experiences that led them into the field. Um, perhaps we could start there. I think you said it all already, really. I mean, it was I had a, I had a good career and I, didn't, uh, I wasn't really looking for anything to, there was no plan to become a counsellor or to do any of this training, but through self-changes, desire to know more about myself, kept digging and just ended up being a counsellor one day and thought, what should we do with this now? And I opened up a practice and lo and behold, it has brought together a lot of my interests that, uh, that I've been pursuing for many years, not realising that this is where it would converge. Mm. Yeah, and it, it is the, I mean, it is the kind of career where I guess, you know, to it, I think most of us, I think it, it's true that we love learning and it's the kind of career where learning is just endless, <laughs> isn't it, is. it really? You know, the chances for development, which I really love about, you know, the counselling and uh, psychotherapy kind of uh, area. Um, so we're going to talk about arguments today. I mean, this may, may be a bit of an obvious place to start, but what are arguments? I mean, how, how do arguments tend to tend to play out between people? Arguments is, if you go for a textbook uh, definition of arguments, I think arguments are literally about deferring opinions, expression, whatever the whatever the basis of the opinion is, political, cultural, social, uh, whatever the, you know, sometimes a reason for the argument is not relevant. It could be as simple as a dishwasher, mm-hmm. or it could be something more complicated like political views. And uh, the, uh, for example, general elections are coming up and that might be triggering for many people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the reason is not relevant, but a deferring opinion or deferring views 
and an intense desire to hold on to your own generally result in if at the at the shallow end expression of differing opinions at the deeper end arguments and name calling and other things um so riots for example or just shouting matches at family dinners you know i'm giving extreme examples here but yeah. it, it can happen so arguments but there's an essential component of arguments which it takes it away from slight disagreement which is anger mm. the necessary component of um you know uh, arguments is anger because mm. if you take the if you take the anger out then people are just expressing views right and that's all healthy mm. nothing yeah. wrong with that mm. but when you become angry anger is a necessary component of uh, arguments in that way mm. i mean how do arguments just to kind of just look at one particular domain in terms of anger and in terms of angry arguments and so this is always going to be, you know, dependent on you know the individual people within a couple. But how do these kind of disagreements play out in couple dynamics? Because I guess as a couples therapist, you must see a lot of this. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, how it works out is um, like I said. I mean, one of one of the things that people tend to argue about in couples, uh, and I don't know uh, because you you work with couples as well, so I don't know if you come across that, but certainly in my work dishwasher seems to be a point of contention yeah very much so yeah. <laughs> it comes up more often than you'd think yeah people talk about how to load the dishwasher as an example of where people can't agree so dish dishwasher of all things in the house is the place where it's not yeah. about where to put your shoes and if somebody's cleaned or not it's the dishwasher for some reason that comes up repeatedly other things come up too i mean all those other things that i said earlier also come up so uh, I think I lost your question. Your question was, what do people tend to disagree about in couples? I think your question was. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. You know, I can't help myself but laugh, but, but this is very, very common, isn't it? People have different ideas around how a dishwasher should be used and it can cause conflict. But but I, I guess how do couples, I mean, in a in a couple where conflict and arguments are not dealt with well, I mean, this again is quite difficult for you to answer because it's very dependent on the couple, but... How can these arguments tend to escalate, kind of bringing in the idea of anger? And So uh, how do arguments escalate? I think you said it yourself. It's like um, if arguments are dealt with, you know, appropriately, meaning you can express anger and with an argument, you don't throw in the towel or you don't think the person is bad or the whole relationship doesn't go to pot just because you had an argument. Now, that's all healthy. In fact, I would say a healthier couple is one that argues, but then also knows how to resolve an argument, which is a really important part. Do they know how to resolve an argument? Yeah. It's not the presence of an argument. It's the ability to resolve it that is often the success uh, determinant of a relationship. Yeah. Can somebody have an argument and not think everything is going to pot because we had an argument about dishwashers? I don't know. You know. Mm. Uh, but if the dishwasher is more symbolic of a power difference and one person feels more aggrieved with the other because they tend to, let's say, one person is always insistent on filling the dishwasher in a certain way. Mm. Now, if that is representative of a larger problem, which means they always insist on getting their own way in a relationship, then you can see how this will play out. Mm. You know, that actually the, the, the dishwasher is not the reason why somebody's arguing. On at the surface level, the dishwasher simply represents two different ways of doing something. At the deeper end, 
it might be symbolic of a power difference and unhappiness of one person with the other over the power they hold. Mm. Yeah, so I guess it can be be underpinned by you know, other couple dynamics, you know, power dynamics within couples. You know, I guess something you didn't say, but uh, unspoken kind of resentments and like, yeah. So, so I guess the argument can be centered, you know, symbolically around the washing machine or the dishwasher. But however, there may be other issues, you know, under underpinning it. I mean, I just wanted to ask, and, and again, you know, it depends on the couple. But how do you deal? I mean, how do you work with couples in the room? when you because obviously couples will have conflict when they're in couples dynamics and arguments will break out i just wonder how you how you deal with that how you work with that with a couple when you're all sitting in the room i i love it <laughs> this might sound really <laughs> i actually love it when they have an argument in, in my presence yeah. because then i don't have to guess what is happening between them that's right in front of me and all the dynamic can come forth if the couple couple have an argument in front of you, mm. it doesn't. I mean, that doesn't mean to say I invite them to have an argument in front of me, but organically, naturally, as the conversation progresses, if they end up having an argument in front of me, I can hold it. Meaning, I can I can hold the space. So for me, if they have an argument in front of me, I can see what their exchange is, mm. and in that exchange is visible sometimes the power difference, the resentment, yeah. the love. You know, you can see it all in an argument just in the way they argue because it's all the you know unspoken stuff it's all the body language it's un you know it's all uh, unconscious communication that we're after and that is far more visible in an argument so when it happens in front of me uh, it's great even if they communicate you know how far they sit away from each other you know whether they're leaning into each other or away from each other so all that represents um you know what what is going on between the couple You know, yeah. guesswork out, right? You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I guess from you know, from from a kind of couples counselor perspective, yeah. I guess when a couple, you know, get into conflict in the room, I mean, it is it, it's so much data, isn't it? I guess we can see, you know, so much. Um, yeah, I mean, although sometimes I think with you know, I mean, I'm choosing my words carefully here, but sometimes with some couples that I think think are very used to conflict, yeah. I mean, sometimes it can escalate quite a lot in the room, can't it? And I think. You know, it's important for us to know how to kind of calm it down. I don't know whether that's your experience. With some couples that are high conflict, can really escalate, can't it? I think. Well, you have to stop it before it gets there, because yeah. you can see you can see it coming. You know, you, it, it, I mean, I've rarely been caught out by a couple mm. where I haven't seen the next step coming. But you can normally see it. You know, I mean, you can see it in any argument, even if you were to observe yeah. it on the street. You can see the escalation. Yeah. So as a as a counselor, it's your job to kind of, or certainly it's my job in my sessions to maintain the level of the session so it never becomes uh, uncontainable. Yeah. Because I also have to work with what is containable for me. Yeah. Right. And if there's a threat, then it has to be managed before it gets there. Yeah. And if there is an extreme threat, then you have to take appropriate measures. Yeah. 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 I mean, a- absolutely. I'm just moving around a little bit. I mean, I'm just referencing um, your article on on our arguments, and you talk in that article about values and how these play into you know into arguments. I wonder, Gerbit, could you say a little bit more about that? How values kind of play in this in this area? Values are probably one of the fundamental couple, uh, fun, fundamental ideas what brings couples together. Right, so similar values is a really important thing. Mm. Couples to come together, right? Yeah. Sharing the same value, let's say about money. 
sharing the same value about children, sharing, uh, sharing the same view about, let's say, I don't know, religion, faith, or something else about family values. You know, when people have the same values, things tend to go smoother because they're aiming for the same same thing. Yeah. But when they fall out over values, and this comes up in a lot of multicultural uh, relationships mm. where people are from different backgrounds or from different cultures, mm. that you can end up with, with no fault of their own, they can end up in a lot of conflict around values that they don't understand about the other person. Mm. So they end up arguing about what is right and what is wrong, but really at the heart of it is some cultural territory that has not been appropriately navigated mm. or even understood. They are not, even though they've been living in the culture that they've been living in, they haven't quite understood what it means to enter into a relationship where the other person is from a different culture. Mm. Yeah. You know, something as simple as time, you know, can can drive yeah. people mad. In some cultures, time is loose and flexible. Mm. In other cultures, time is very tight, meaning it's very precision oriented. Yeah. So if somebody says it's 10 or 6, it's 10 or 6. Mm. It's not, hey, when we wake up and if it's 10 o'clock, we'll meet up. That's not, you know, and some cultures do operate like that. Yeah, true. And you yeah. get these people from these two different cultures in a meeting. You know, forget couples. If you get them in a meeting, how do you think they're going to operate? Mm. And if you get them in a in, in a couple, how do you think mm. they're going to operate around time? And somebody says, okay, we'll go to dinner at 7 p.m. What do you think it means to, to both of them? Now, is it their fault? Or is it that they don't know that the cultural factors are mm. uh, playing a role here? And have they understood how to work with the other person who has a different concept of time to their own? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that is really interesting. And it, 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 it touches on what was going to be my next question. How do you work with a couple, with a couple where there are different kind of cultures, they come from different cultures and there are cultural differences that are causing conflict? And again, difficult for you to answer because it very much depends on the on the couple. But generally, how would you work with those kind of with those kind of things like time, for instance, and different values culturally around time? How do you work with that as a counsellor? Uh, well, luckily, because I've done um, I've kind of done a lot of research in this in this area, and I've kind of I've, I've got a I've got a personal interest, and in, I've run some communication training in this mm. as well. That actually I've come to understand this in great detail. So knowing this, so when you first give them the shared information of why they're arguing over time, mm. and there are terminologies for this, right? So one is polychronic time and one is monochronic time. Mm. And, and these terminologies matter because polychronic, as you would imagine, is a little bit more flexible and monochronic is, is very precise. Yeah. So, um, so, these, so just introducing these ideas to them as information, let alone trying to, trying to understand it in deeper, I mean, they were still, I met a couple once, they were still arguing over the time that they turned up for the wedding. And for one person, it was flexible. So they just kind of went with the flow and decided when everyone was together, they came, turned up for the wedding. The other person was like, everybody's waiting, and where are you? So, do you know what I mean? So for some people, time, and you can see how this argument, and they both ended up arguing over why, you know, something, um, why the other person didn't respect their, so the monochrome, yeah blind person is saying why weren't you there and you know we you, you insulted my guests and the other person is saying yeah well i have to get all my guests together before i could turn up so you know you can see how this works right and this argument has no end so when i no. first so when i first introduced <laughs> both of those i was like and this is the position most often that couples take that they believe they're they're right and in order for them to be right the other person has to be wrong yeah 
And who wants to be wrong? <laughs> yeah. So the argument is endless. So once I introduced the concept to them and they woke up to the idea, and you know, then it was it became a lot easier to talk about. So now we were trying to understand the problem and work out a way that both of could, both of them could look at each other mm. and not feel the resentment around that. Dan constantly go, but you insulted my guests, but no, but I have to take care of my guests. You know, it's in that kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, so so I guess then you know being given more information really and understanding. I guess helps them to zoom out and look at the conflict a little bit differently. I mean, it's so true what you say about, you know, right and wrong as well. You know, I mean, nothing, no, you know, nothing good in a couple dynamic comes from that kind of thinking, does it? You know, someone has to be right, somebody has to be wrong. But it's so often part of a couple dynamic around these kind of things, so common, you know, and it also kind of, you know, bleeds into power dynamic and, you know, kind of other areas. Could I just ask you, in terms of, I mean, you, you, you know, you, you work with many, many people, you're really experienced. In terms of arguments between maybe different kind of age groups, I'm thinking maybe millennials, um, Gen Z, do you notice any any difference in terms of what people, what, what those groups would argue about how they manage arguments, or, or is it pretty pretty much the same as other age groups? I mean, what, what, what do you see? Uh, if you take the the building blocks of relationships, they haven't changed. Yeah. You know, that it's based on values that hasn't changed throughout the generations. Yes, it has changed from, let's say, 100 years ago or maybe more than that when marriages were a part of a political thing, right? And it was not completely romantic engagements. They were yeah. political engagements and sometimes done to gain power sort of thing. Yeah. Political power. Um, but it, you know, if you take that element out of it, right, and if you move to the more the generations that we know, baby boomers and yeah. Gen, Gen X yeah. is the one the, yeah. the way we're looking at it. If you go into that category, I don't think the building blocks of relationships have changed. Mm -hmm. Meaning, values are still the same. You know, the people, how people, you know, money is still around. You know, uh, yeah, we yeah. we're not a cash economy anymore. We're like much more no. e transactions, that sort of thing. So things have changed. Terminologies have changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, in the 70s, nobody used the term ghosting. You know, it's a, no. it's a much modern concept, yeah, you know. Okay. So firelighting or gaslighting, that's yeah. not, again, new terminology. So you've got new terminologies to understand something that is happening. Mm -hmm. Attachment theories were, well, you know, not as well known. So, you know, so now those things are coming through. You know, people have, are more able to read on things, understand things. They've got new terminologies. Yeah. Means of communication has changed. You used yeah. to write letters and be on phone, and now what has happened is that it's uh, it's texting. People have arguments over yeah. text. Yeah. So the means of communication have changed, plus the attention span. So mm. you know, with with uh, the advent of internet technologies, obviously people's attention span have dithered, and that has an impact on on people's communication. So people when they when they send a text, their patience to wait for a text. Yeah. is not there whereas you know they say well i sent I, I sent that person a text and i waited like two hours and there's no response i mean you know yeah. back in the day people used to mail letters and that took three days to get there <laughs> and then three days to get a response Do you yeah, know what i mean longer <laughs> all longer <laughs> so if they wrote immediately of course but you know so that that time is in there that that mm. you know time has shrunk attention span has shrunk and mm. therefore we're we're like looking for responses much quicker Mm. So we we live in this era, and that's I think it's more the era than uh, the generation influenced by the technologies that we're using mm. to communicate. Mm. 
much more than I would say the basis of what builds relationships. And people also we're living in an instant gratification culture. Yeah. So and like I mean, can you speed up the maturing of wine? Can you speed up the maturing of relationships? Not sure about that. You know, though, so it's going to take time. I mean, people want like an instant answer. Like I, I said this today. So why hasn't it already been changed? Yeah, somebody has to, you know, so people's emotional time, and that's another way to look at time. Mm. Emotional time is different to physical time. And that's a different way to look at time, right? Mm. So when the emotional time is stretched out, you know, then you need to give them that. You can't just speed it up just because, you know, you, we live in an instant gratification culture. Mm. Right, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that made complete sense. I mean, that is, that's really, really interesting. And, it, and it's also showing me the attention span is less, you know, communication is, you know, is really different, isn't it? I mean, I guess, you know, back in kind of, you know, our youth, it was telephone really, and it wasn't it. But now the means of communication are so many, you know, MSN, social media, etc. And it's so interesting to you talk about attachment theory. We, we don't have to go into this in any too great detail, but I don't know whether you find the, find the same. I mean, with the kind of younger generations, I find generally there's a lot more understanding, I think, of attachment theory. And I don't know whether you agree with this. You know, for me, I think... In terms of couples disagreeing and you know, someone's got to be right, someone's got to be wrong, I think, you know, pre-knowledge of attachment theory, I think that could really happen with different attachment types. Couples are much more likely to drop into feeling that someone that maybe had a preoccupied attachment, you know, pattern was wrong or an avoidant. But I don't know whether you find that with millennials and Gen Z, the fact they understand attachment theory and have a better understanding, I would say, generally of psychology, that that, that, that perhaps helps a little bit or... Maybe, maybe I don't know. How, how do you find that? Would you agree, disagree? Depends on the that, people, of course. But that, that's it. It's yeah. the tail end. What you said at the right at the end. It yeah. depends on the person. It does. Seen instances where this information is weaponized, which means it's used against the other person. That's true. You know, yeah. because you are because you are of anxious attachment. Therefore, you are doing this. So it's yeah. weaponized. Yeah. And and when you when you weaponize information, it's counterproductive to the direction of the relationship. Yeah, that's true. So where you want to go with this ought to be, I mean, if you use it to understand it and perhaps walk around it and explore it with your partner, mm. great. All that is good stuff. Mm. Nothing wrong in sharing information, exploring it, opening it and saying, hey, I, this is what I read. What do you think of this? Mm. And then finding a way to work together with it. But yeah. instead, if you start weaponizing it, like I said earlier, and you know, you start kind of holding it against the other person saying, you do this because X, Y, and Z, and because yeah. your mother didn't do this or your father didn't do this, that's yeah. why I have to put up with this. That's weaponized information. Yeah. And that is counterproductive. That's not helpful at all, I don't think, in relationships. That's yeah. power, you know, power exertion. Yeah, I mean, I really hear that. Yeah, and then pathologizing the other person, really. I mean, and that does also happen. I mean, it's so true, you know, because couples with that knowledge can do different things with it. They can look at it, they can try and, you know, look, improve the relationship with the understanding or they can use it to you know as a weapon i mean that is that is so true or become each other's therapist right yeah you can also have that happen let the end up yes i'm a therapist for the other person yes it's like yeah. you know this, this is what you should do it's like hang on a minute like you know yeah you have to name it you have to say so are you being a therapist for the other person or mm. are we trying to understand this you have to name it yeah and feeding into that kind of power dynamic you know i mean this is i think right this is why i really enjoy working with couples you know it's very very complex i mean every couple is completely different obviously in couples dynamics are very very complex i wanted to maybe just just move around a little bit more and just ask you in recent years 
what, what would you say have been the most kind of divisive argument causing issues maybe you know society wise that have kind of filtered down into friends arguing couples arguing it's really interesting that it um you know uh, take brexit for example right mm. the brexit was a point of contention between a lot of people now what i didn't get was i didn't get many couples with brexit disagreements mm. but i got like the couples between you know which probably indicates a some kind of um a joint view on brexit you know so one voted one yeah. way the other probably voted the same way yeah because what you did get was arguments over family dinners right yeah. when the larger families involved and different yeah. generations on the same table that's when you had arguments mm. so it felt like generations didn't agree but within the couple that wasn't a problem yeah so that is that is but so you asked me about arguments i don't think that i can rate that as a couple argument mm. but you know couple arguments tend to happen over you know so when you can't leave you know because it's very expensive to get housing now and yeah. couples who were together with a family can't afford to sometimes move out so they end up staying together for different reasons. Yeah, so true. Yeah, you know, so that's what that, that can be one of the reasons: financial reasons, inability to leave. That can add to the resentment, and that can come out of the other person unless they work out a way to work with each other. Mm. Yeah, right. So unless they've got some some means of calming things down between each other, and you know, and coming to some kind of a civil agreement to say this is how we will function as a, while we live in the same house, mm. it it is an explosive uh, territory. Mm. So that is another reason. So again, now, you know, with all this, um, uh, you know, about the the war, war in, in the Middle East going on, yeah. you know, and in Ukraine and Russia. So there are these wars going on. Again, you can have a point of conflict here, but generally, you know, if you find a couple that have joint value systems, yeah, there are, you know, what we call vertical stresses, mm. right? So the vertical stresses are when, you know, when you come across a, event like for example having a first child yeah that's a vertical stressor yeah right there is a horizontal stress for example stress about a job you know that is an ongoing thing that is never going to go away you know but a vertical stressor is an event that comes and then mm -hmm. is around for a few years so vertical stressors often whether politically you know let's say if the economy takes a downturn then that puts financial stress on the couple that will then bring about yeah. you know uh, disagreements so uh, I don't think there is any particular events that have, you know, done a couple arguments, but there are definitely, mm -hmm. uh, let's say, life changes or, mm. uh, you know, things like that that will create stress mm. on the couple. Any stressful event on the couple, then they either come together or mm. they'll begin to show cracks mm. in other parts of their relationship. So stressors mm. sometimes act as a gateway to problems that haven't been addressed in the relationship and been left to bury. Yeah. And that then opens up a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And I really resonate with that. I mean, it can go either way, really, can't it? I mean, something like, you know, having uh, having their first child. I mean, obviously that is, you know, a real life changing experience and it can bring, you know, the stress of it, if you like, can bring couples together. Can make them more connected but it can also you know open up kind of i don't know unseen kind of ruptures in the relationship and and, and things like parenting styles i mean did you find couples maybe would argue about parenting styles 
Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. But, but, but the second child, that tends to get sorted out. But by the first yeah. child, that's part of the arguments, isn't it? Parenting styles. Yeah. How to discipline a child, you know, yeah. how to how to what nursery to send the child to. Mm. You know, what what the child should wear, something as simple as that. Mm. So there are there are all sorts of um you know stresses related to that. Uh-huh. And you know, let's say if one person is very uh, heavy on what their child should wear, then that that can again create a power power difference content. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that that's just one example, by no means the only one, of course. But that's just one example of uh, you know, problems that already exist in the relationship. Yeah. That are brought to the surface by an event. Now, if they didn't have the child, they and you know, they didn't have to decide what to put on the child. Does that mean that they, they would have never argued with the power difference? I think you can just say that that might have happened later on in their life. Yeah. That would have come about. They might have gone for like 20 years and then thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, I've had enough now. Yeah. And we get those couples, right? I get the, certainly I get, you know, couples yeah. like, where like they've lived with each other for a long period of time and suddenly one day it's like, what what am I doing? Mm. I mean, those couples, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I mean I work with couples like like that as well. Couples that maybe, you know, for probably a host of reasons, maybe modeling in their own childhoods just won't deal with any conflict at all. They'll just shelve conflict. I mean, that is really, really common, isn't it? You know, again, it's very, very dependent, you know, on the couple. But but how do you tend to work with couples where conflict is just hidden away, really? Because couples we, do do this often, don't they? We have to kind of uh, work with them on uh, on helping. Her. The first thing you have to do is develop communication. Now, yeah. frankly, you and I are communicating in this in this you know podcast. But you know, if you take communication between between a couple, they communicate. I mean, it's what is communication? Means of communication is letters, emails, and words, spoken word, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, texting, like we spoke about earlier. That's means of communication. It's not, and it's not means of communication that is a problem. They both know English, but it's like mm-hmm. it's what they're communicating about, and all the emotions attached to yeah. that are the problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if one by one, you start taking out the barriers to communication mm-hmm. and help them take ownership of what they've got. So the I statements versus the you statements are really important. Yeah. So when they start making I statements and you help them see that actually both of them are trying to be right and who wants to be wrong, mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, I've worked with one couple where that's the that's the only thing I needed to do is to help them see yeah. that for one of them to be right, the other one had to be wrong. And yeah. could they collaborate on this? Yeah. Could they work together on this? Could they compromise on this? Mm-hmm. Right and and you know can they solve a problem together versus end up in which solution is better? Mm, yeah. And if you can if you can do that for the couple, so you have to. It requires. I mean, you have to. Uh, you know, sometimes one intervention is not enough. You have to do multiple interventions. Yeah. And sometimes just making with the right couple. I mean, making one intervention is enough. Yeah, it's true. You yeah. know, it can happen that you know you do a few sessions and then and you're done. And there are other couples yeah. with them. Like it can be a long piece of work. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that is absolutely true. But there is really something about the the, the zooming out, isn't there? And looking at um, kind of process and not content. Yeah, guess, but it's, yeah. It's, yeah pro- I'm glad you mentioned that process and content. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, it's like you know you have to also think about aligning agendas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when they come to counselling, their agendas are not aligned. That's true. Yeah. Right. So you, I mean, I, I, you can spend a long time as a counsellor just aligning agendas. Let's say one person's partially checked out of the relationship. Mm. 
Yeah. And the other person wants to work on it. Have you got aligned agendas? No, you haven't. Mm. One person's not even in. Mm. Right? Yeah. What if one person is lying? Yeah. And the other one is is there thinking, you know, we're trying to be honest over here. And then, then what? Mm. So you haven't got aligned agendas. You can't do your work because your agendas are the agendas are not aligned. So you have to spend a lot of time aligning agendas. Then you have what what you you know referred to as as a process versus content. You know, which, which we kind of referred to earlier when we said the content is the dishwasher, but the process could be power. But yeah. we just naming it like that, right? That you know we're not separating the processes. Dishwasher is the content. Mm-hmm. But what are they really arguing with? The real argument is about the power, which is the which mm-hmm. is the process. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. you just have to say it. You know, you know, I don't mince my words. I would just say it in the session. Mm-hmm. What is your process and what is your content here? Mm-hmm. So the content can change, but the process won't. Yeah. So if, they, if, for example, when we talked about the child, the first child, the first child is the is the, is the content, isn't it? The real yeah. problem is power again. Mm-hmm. So if you take away the content, then the, the problem is you just delay the problem till much later on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's so true what you say. Yeah, because I guess a couple they've got to be in therapy with aligned agendas otherwise it's but it's just not going to work is it yeah i mean and, and often couples do come in with different agendas that's really really interesting and i think very very true i mean this is um another jump to something else if that's okay but i just wondered about your experiences during the pandemic with working with with couples what did you what did you see well, well it was you know i mean it's it was such a unique situation where couples are effectively locked in their house aren't they for months and months you know i don't think any couple signed up for that and i just wonder what you saw really well you saw people come together you also <laughs> saw where people get on each other's nerves and you also saw yeah. relationships crumble all of that but what, what was really interesting to note during this time was that you know, when you go to work, you've got 15-minute train ride and you have the time to get ready for your work before you get there. Let's say 15 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, whatever the time. You're leaving home and the commute gives you time to come into the space where you need to be, read a few emails, get ready for work, think about what you need, read a few papers. And by the time you arrive at work, you're like already in that mode. Yeah. Now, at work, it's a very cerebral thing. You're completely in your head. There's like less emotion there because it's all process oriented except for people like us of course but that's a yeah. different story but people are in their cognitive head so when they leave you know when they leave work again you've got that de-stressor in the train before you get to home because you start thinking oh, i'm going to stop and pick up yeah. mail or whatever that is and when you get home you're now in a space where you know you have that you're you're at home and life carries on yeah. but in pandemic you're there was no there was no no man's land. No. There was no decompression no. chamber. You went from a cognitive world, you opened the door and you were in your emotional world. Yeah. So, so that because of that, and you saw people's fatigue for that reason alone. Forget the hot housing, that change from cognitive cerebral stuff to emotional stuff. Yeah. Just, you know, look, you know, it was just like people were not getting the time to go from one thing to the other. Yeah. And that even... I I must say even I didn't see it coming. I, you know, but when it, when it when you saw it in, as a pattern, yeah, I got used to you know kind of now saying, can you leave the house, walk around the house, and then come back in? Can you like do something that will help you? Yeah, create that space. Just don't open the door and go out there. Just take a few minutes, and and that started working. Yeah. So, yeah. but that was one of the one of the effects that you hadn't seen coming. Yeah. But there was other stuff about hot housing and 
you know, arguments. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I found the same thing, you know, I mean, if the people that, you know, and I would probably be one of these people, you know, that used to kind of moan about having to get the tube and, you know, public transport, when that was taken away, it's so interesting how many people actually missed it, because that, as you say, was the kind of the space in between work and home, you know, people would maybe kind of de-escalate, they've moved from a cognitive position to a more emotional position. Whereas I guess when people are working from home, there is no separation. And I guess that situation continues, really, because lots of people were remote working still. I mean, the, the whole landscape has changed, really. But it's so important to just try and create that space. Particularly, I think, well, I think it's important for, for, you know, for probably all people, but there was also maybe a difference between introverts and, and extroverts, possibly. Um, this is maybe taking us somewhere else a, a little yeah, bit, but I think, yeah, I mean, that, I guess I'll just open up something very big, but could you just say a little bit about the difference maybe in terms like what? of what you saw with you, in terms of during the pandemic, uh, how intro, how introverts and extroverts maybe managed it differently? It'll take us into a whole discussion about introverts. Yeah, I know. Because it's like extroverts is, you know, are you truly an extrovert or is that a coping strategy? <laughs> yeah. It's a coping strategy that means a different thing, right? Are you are you truly an introvert or or are you just hiding? Yeah. You know, because if you take <laughs> yeah. that or and that, then you know, kind of because depending on the person, if it's a coping strategy and you take the coping strategy away, then what happens to the house of cards? Yeah. You know, then it can crumble and people mm. find it really difficult to cope. If, on the other hand, you're grounded and you're much more within yourself and you take the extrovertism away, then you find alternative ways to be. You can yeah. still do video calls and, you know, people developed a new way of working. So yeah. you could still be yourself provided. But, you know, but a lot of the companies were shut. Salespeople were not working in the same way. Dealerships were something. You know, yeah. shut. So many people were not working in the same way. But even today, you know, like if you're working from home, you said one of the top tips is to actually, you know, again, make sure there's a decompression chamber. Yeah. So for sure. introverts or extroverts, it doesn't matter. You need, you know, that you're yeah. not changing that part of you. You still need that decompression chamber. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely true. I mean, could I, could I, could I ask you, you know, if we just say a little more around how people can get hold of you, the kind of things that, that people can, because I know you, you, you work in so many different areas, the kind of things that you offer in terms of the training and, I mean, if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that? What what can they get hold of you in order to, you know, to ask you to assist with? Well, the, the simplest way is my website, which is just my name, www.gerpreetsingh.uk. And otherwise, it's my mobile number, 07881-400-200. So it's an easy number, and hopefully people can find me should they want. And I'm also a family therapist, but you know, mm. that is new territory. I haven't started, you know, that much work on it and but it's similar to couple working it's mm. just an added, added dimension of a third person looking in so if you've got the couple and you've got the child then you've got like a three-way dynamic and that mm. or more i mean it can be siblings right yeah. so that is an interesting piece of work too but in time yeah i mean it sounds fascinating goodness me the level of complexity i know we said this when we did a pre-podcast chat i mean I, i'm not a family service but the level of complexity must be it must be great when you're working with, with, with the whole family. And in terms of the training, I just want to, could you say a little bit more about the training you do? If anyone wants to get hold of you to, you know, access any of the training that you offer. The training is on the same, is from the same website. You have yeah. to get 
me, but I do I do two. It's used as stress as stress management, and I do that too. But I've actually changed my focus a little bit now to communications and conflict management is also one of them. And then I also do uh, culturally focused work, so culturally focused relationship training. So actually just focusing because you know the the culture itself is so vast mm-hmm. that you can do to spend a whole day doing just that training. Yeah. Because it's like it covers so many different, I mean, we only spoke of one, which is time, mm-hmm. but there's so many other levels that come in, you know, that people need to think about. And mm-hmm. then there's conflict management. Ultimately, we've been talking about arguments and conflict yeah. is at the heart of most of this. And there are some tools that you can actually, you know, uh, pick up that will be really helpful in in conflict itself, how to manage conflict. So I can do anything from a 20 minute to a whole day training on any one of these subjects. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you know, what you kind of what you're really after, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's, read, whether it's a you know counseling organization, any one of them. Yeah, and uh, and you know people can you know access the the information that they need from from your website. You do you know work in so many different areas and offer so much. So you know I would urge our listeners to you know check out your website. We time has really really flown today. The the last question I always ask our guests is. What are your go-to strategies for sustaining your own good mental health? Um, number one, get to the park. A day yeah. like this, when the sun's out, you need to get to the park particularly. But I think outdoors is really important. Yeah. Whether you're biking, whether you're walking. I mean, I'm an, I love biking and I love walking, both of them. Um, and I've got a lovely park next to me, which I really enjoy. So uh, walking by the river, by, by the park, and mindfulness. You know, so you a morning, yeah. 15 minute, 20 minutes of mindfulness. You don't it doesn't have to be long, but people often do it with podcasts and you know, I think my my suggestion would be to just sit on a park bench, be with yourself for 20 minutes. Yeah. Don't put anything on, just be with yourself. And if you can just center yourself in those 15, 20 minutes, even if it's five minutes, that's still better than zero minutes. Yeah. You know, so if you can just spend those few minutes centering yourself and getting ready for the day and maybe an act of gratefulness during that yeah. just thinking about what are you grateful for for the day yeah and i think those are really good grounding ideas and and i really resonate with those ideas i mean the mindfulness in nature goodness me so powerful isn't it i mean it's so powerful you know just really showing up in a kind of natural environment and yeah and gratitude as well it, it's so much research on that isn't it I mean, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for what is a really, really, it's been a really fascinating interview. Before we finish, is there anything you would have liked to have said that I've not given you the opportunity to? Uh, in in arguments, I would I would say that there is one thing to keep to be mindful of. Um, there is the idea that you can either go for the relationship or you can go for the task. For example, what is more important? Is it more important that you figure out which way to load the dishwasher or is it more important to keep your partner and your relationship happy? The theory is if somebody loses, somebody will win. Yeah. If you both lose or you both win. And you've got to think whether the task is more important or the relationship is more important. Yeah. If the focus is relationship, then think about how to do the task with the relationship in mind. And yeah. I double wrapping the relationship. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, collaboration rather than, yeah, have a struggle. Okay, we'll, we'll, fin- we'll finish there. It's been lovely to see you again, Gopri, and thank you so much. I'm really chuffed you've come on the show and talked about this really important subject.
No problem. All the best, Mark. Thank you for having me today. Uh, well, I'm sure our listeners will agree. What an absolutely fantastic show. Um, I could have talked to Gurpreet for another hour, probably longer. Um, Gurpreet brings so much experience to so many different areas. Really fascinating to you know hear more in-depth conversation around arguments um, and also some of the kind of underpinnings in terms of couple power dynamics and some of the symbols in which arguments can be centred, such as the dishwasher um yeah i mean process versus content we touched on a little bit i think it's you know very important i think this really aligns with what gopreet was saying that you know couples in conflict you know are able just to zoom out a little bit uh, and have a look at the processes that perhaps are getting in the way like um, gopreet talks about communication which is often something that uh, can be improved when couples come to come to therapy uh in order to zoom out and have a look at the processes that are not working and change them um brilliant, brilliant show i'm absolutely chuffed to to get gopri on the show um i would encourage our listeners to check out his website gopri also does so much media there's so many articles and um media um kind of information um that he has contributed to um so so i please check out his website um gopri offers training offers couples therapy offers one-to-one therapy and offers an absolute wealth of experience. So I just want to really, really thank Gerpreet for coming on the show again. Uh, it was great to see him, and it really was a fantastic show. Um, sticking with the theme of relationships, um, we already have a few guests lined up. Um, I'm not going to say much more about those guests at the moment, um, but this is Series 5 is turning into uh, another really cracking series. Um, so stay tuned. Um, next week will be um, our next episode. And then the following one will be a couple of weeks, I think, after that. Um, both are going to be great. Um, and as always, as I always say, um, if you do, if you are enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe. It helps us in so many different ways. Um, and, and also, you know, if you join the podcast, tell your friends. Our numbers are really, really going up. Um, and I, I guess the more more subscribers we get, um, the the more guests will you know consider coming on the show. Um, that being said, you know every guest I think we've had on the show for all of the five series has been brilliant. We have been so so lucky with guests. Um, and just as I always say at the end of the episode, look after yourselves, look after each other, and look after the planet. And I'll see you soon on the next episode. Thanks again for listening to the show. If you have been affected by any of the topics on this show or any other of our shows, um, if you're in the UK, then please reach out. Um, Samaritans can be contacted on 116-123. And the GP is also a good source of um, contact and can be the gateway for you know, counselling services and other mental health support. Um, reach out to your mental health support team, um, mental health first aider, um, or trusted friend, colleague, or family member. We have a lot of international listeners. Um, so if you're listening from a non-UK country, um, then please reach out to you know your country's healthcare and mental health care providers. Um, and remember, it's okay not to be okay. Hashtag psychotherapy.
Field. 